The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. All right, so we are going to dive in in a moment. But before we do, I'm either going to do your favorite part of a message or your least favorite part of a message. I'm going to ask you guys a question to talk among yourselves with. If you had one day to spend with Jesus, what would you want to do with him? Would you want to take him out to dinner? Would you want to go get coffee with him? Would you just want to do like an epic Bible study? If you're me, you're probably going to go see an MCU Marvel movie. But uh, say hi to someone you might not know or someone you haven't talked to in a bit. And we're going to start off. If you had one day to spend with Jesus, what would you want to do on that day? Stand up, say hi to someone, and go. All right, you guys got about another 30 seconds. All right, I'd ask you guys to bring it back in and join me with prayer as we begin this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God of light and life and of friendship and of relationship. Lord, as we dive into 1 John today, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives. Lord, that we would be open to your light and your life and your relationship. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So the reason why I started out with that question was intentional, because who we're going to be talking about today is the Apostle John. And the Apostle John was rather unique in the Apostles in the fact that he wasn't martyred for his faith fairly young. So most of the Apostles we know were killed by the Roman Empire because Christianity was growing and Rome saw it as a threat. Right? They weren't going after power. They weren't going after money. But because this was a new God on the scene and people were saying, I'm going to trust this new God more than I trust this God of the empire, the Roman Empire, Rome considered it a threat. And so most of the apostles, Peter, Paul, James, all ended up dying some fairly horrific deaths, either in Colosseums or via crucifixion. Some died crucified upside down as if to humiliate them. But John didn't. John lived out most of his life, and what happened to him was he got so old, the empire was like, you know what, we don't want the optics of killing an old man. And so what they did was they exiled him to an island, right? So literally, the Roman Empire was like, I got to get rid of you. I want you to shut up. I don't want you to meet people, but I'm going to send you off to the island of Potamos, right? So it's out uh, in the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And then John, instead of meeting with the church, started to write to the early church. And he wrote the first letter of John to the early Christians. And what's interesting about what he writes is his unique relationship with Jesus. When you look at the Gospel of John, how John refers to himself is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Over and over and over again, he doesn't use his name. He uses his relationship with Jesus to explain who he is. And if you want to know how deep their relationship was, how powerful their friendship was, you look no further than the last command Jesus gives before he dies. See, Jesus had a mother. He was the oldest son. And as the oldest son of a widow, Joseph had passed on by this point. It was his job to take care of his mother, Mary. 
but he was going to die. He was going to go back to God. And so he had one last piece of business to do. And so this is what he says to John. This comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. They had such a close relationship, such a close friendship that Jesus entrusted his earthly mother to John. That's deep, right? He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. His mother was the strongest family connection he had left. And just before he goes, he says, John, I need you to take care of my mom. I mean, that's deep. That's best friend level. And John didn't get to spend just one day with Jesus. No, for three and a half years, they traveled together. They ate together. They laughed together. They cried together. They were literally best friends. And the reason why John writes this letter, and we're going to see this in a little bit, is he wants us to have that same type of relationship with Jesus. The letter goes on in 1 John. It starts and it says this, That which we have heard, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and touched, which we have proclaimed concerning the word of life, this being Jesus, the life appeared and we have seen it and we testify it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was the Father and which has appeared to us. One of the unique things about John in his epistle is it was written by a first-hand account. So if I give you a message about who Jesus is, I am taking it from sources, right? The sources of the Bible or from history or whatever else. But John hung out with him. He had front row seats to everything Jesus did. So when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, John was there. When Jesus wanted to feed 5,000 and a little boy came up and said, well, I've got a couple loaves of bread and a fish. And Jesus says, that's enough. John was there. When they were in the boat and the storm was going to wreck them and sink them and Jesus comes walking onto the boat, walking out of the water onto the boat and calms the storm, John was there. When Jesus died, John was there. And when Jesus came back, John was there. He says, we saw him, we touched him, we lived with him. And we will sacrifice everything. I will live exiled on an island because he is who he said he was. The son of God, the savior, the hero. John says, I watched it happen. But then his epistle even gets better because then he connects it to us. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why? so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Why did he write the book of John, or the letter of John? So that we could have that same level of friendship. That same deep connection that John got to have with Jesus. That same front row seat to what God was going to do in this world. He goes, why I am writing this to you is because God wants to have fellowship with you in that same way. 
and not just as individuals, but as a community of faith. So not only do we get direct access to God, we get direct access with the community of God, the body of Christ. See, our God is all about relationship. In fact, that's what comes next. John says, we write this to make our joy complete. John's writing to the early church. He had this friendship with Jesus. He still has this relationship with his God. But he says, you see, I've got joy, but I want to have complete joy. And that complete joy comes from realizing this is not a relationship that was meant to be just between John and Jesus. No, that relationship was for everyone. And he says, so I want to share that relationship with you. I want you to know about the God that you have, about a God who will go to any length to have a relationship with you, a God who I saw die for you, a God who I saw be raised back to life again for you, and a God who commanded me now to go out and let everyone know you don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to be isolated anymore. There is a God who sees you and loves you and is desperate to have a relationship with you. And sometimes we get witnessing backwards. We think witnessing Christ means, okay, we have to prove that you're right and we're wrong. Or you're right, we're right, and you're wrong, right? We have to win them over. But it's not about winning or losing. It's about a relationship, about a God who says, no, I want to be in relationship with you. Just the way you are. You don't have to work your way to me. You don't have to build a ladder to me or a staircase to me. You don't got to do enough good things before we can be in relationship. He says, no, I specialize in the island of misfit toys. And all of the apostles, all of the early disciples were from the island of misfit toys. If you were going to create a crew to start an organization with, you would not pick these dudes. They were dirty. They were from the wrong family. They were doubters. They were betrayers. And yet God says, no, I want a relationship with these guys. And I'm going to use these guys and these women to then go and share that same relationship. There's a God who wants to do life with you. That you don't have to be alone anymore. John then goes into describing what this God is like. He says, this message we have heard from him and declare to you now, you see, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John uses light and darkness a lot in both the gospel of John and in the letters that he writes to the early church. In fact, in in the gospel of John, he says it this way. He says, in him, this being Jesus, was life and that life was the light of all mankind And that light will shine in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not understood it. We live in a dark world. There is a lot of darkness in this world. Whether it's how a nation relates to another nation, or how a family member relates to another family member, or our workplaces, or our own head trash that just bounces around in there, there is a lot of darkness in this world. And what John writes is that Jesus came to be the light that pierces that darkness. Now, the darkness doesn't understand Jesus because Jesus doesn't play by its rules, right? The world will tell you being really strong, that's what's really important. Or being first, that's what's really important. But Jesus says things like, no, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
The world will say, it is your right and responsibility to get even. And Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek. Over and over and over again, the life and the light of Jesus comes into dark places and it starts to redeem. And that is literally how we save the world. See, sometimes we get in our mind that, oh no, if this one thing can finally happen, then it's going to be okay. If this one organization or if this one happenstance or circumstance happens and Jesus says, no, that's not how I work. I work by bringing my light into individuals. And those individuals get connected in the body of Christ. And then the hands of God are bigger down here. And the arms can reach farther because the body is bigger. And the eyes can see better where the need is, where the darkness is, because there's more of them. He says, if you want to see the world change, if you want to see real light, he goes, get filled with me. Share that love and that light with others so they're filled with me. And then the body of Christ gets bigger. And the body of Christ is marked by love, is marked by light. And so when the whole body of Christ is living, loving their neighbor as themselves, families change. Communities change. The world changes. This light is going to come in and it's going to overcome the darkness. Because that's the one thing about light and darkness. Yes, darkness can be really, really black. But darkness is just emptiness. Light, however, fills rooms. Think if you've ever been in a pitch black room and someone lights just a single match. It drives out the darkness because light is always more powerful than emptiness. It brings warmth. It brings sight. And that's the kind of God that we have, a God of life. John continues on. He says, but if we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live out the truth. And this is where it gets real for all of us, myself at the front of the line. You see, we want to be in two places at once. We want to say, yes, God, I want your love and your forgiveness and your relationship, and that is awesome, but I'm going to play footsie with the world, right? And while I'm calling out to you for that love and that light, well, I'm going to play by the world's rules when it's convenient, Maybe in my workplace. Yeah, I, I, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to have integrity, but you know what? I can make a little bit more or do a little bit less work if I play by these rules. Maybe it's in relationship with a family member or a friend, and you're like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I just feel entitled, indignant that I can hold on to this darkness. And what John writes is, guys, you can't be in two places at once. You can't be in God's light while trying to have half of your body in the darkness. But yet all of us try that on the daily. (laughs) Whether it's when we're driving, when we're at work, how we treat our family members, thoughts that we have in our heads, we cling to that darkness. And the good news is that John has a solution to that. You see, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, the world will tell you you have to hide. 
And the world is really good at finding ways to help you hide, right? So if you're on social media, you can pick and choose which pictures you show, right? So you can make sure you get that perfect family shot when you're on vacation, even though the three days leading up to that moment where you take a picture and you're all smile, you were ready to wrangle each other's necks, right? You can mask what's going on in your life. Or you can mask what's going on in your life with a substance. Or you can mask what's going on in your life with the house that you have or the fence that you build or the face that you put on when you come to church for an hour every week. The world will tell you that will protect you because if the world really knew who you really were, if another person really knew who you really were, if God really knew who you really were, they wouldn't accept you. And yet the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that is not how God works. In fact, it's just the opposite. He says, if we're honest with God, if we confess that, yeah, there is still some darkness, there is still some brokenness, there is still some stuff that I am working on, God, and I need your forgiveness, he says he is faithful and he is just and will forgive us of our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. So not only are we forgiven, not only does he wash us clean, But then he says he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. And this word righteousness is one we get wrong a lot because we think self-righteousness. Oh, he's a jerk. He thinks he's better than us. That is not what righteousness means in Scripture. Righteousness literally meant right relationship. And you can only have right relationship when it's good between you and God and it's good between everybody else. And so he says when you are honest with God, he will put you back into right relationship with him. And he will teach you how to have right relationship with everyone else. Relationships filled with love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All those things that we wrestle with that the world says, "Eh, it's not that important. That our own dark thinking, our own dark nature says, no, you don't need that. You deserve this. He says, when you're in right relationship with God, he pours himself, his light, his life into you, and then it changes how you are in relationship with everyone else. You see, when we're able to be honest with our God, that, yeah, we're still works in progress. Our toys still aren't working the way they were meant to. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't say, no, you no longer have a right to be here. Instead, he says, I see you. And I love you. I died to purify you, to make you clean, to give you a right relationship with me. And he says, and guys, I want you to have right relationship with everyone else as well. That's how we make our joy complete, by sharing that life and that light. And again, sometimes as Christians, we want to overcomplicate it. We think, I have to say the exact right thing to share Jesus. No, just be honest that, you know what, I'm broken, and God still loves me. I've made mistakes, and he's forgiven me. And he says, you're my child. Jesus says, I want to be friends with you. I don't want you to have to do life by yourself. I want you to get to do life in community. It's just sharing the hope we have, the relationship we have, and then letting God do all the rest, letting God convict of darkness. It's not our job to go and point out, wow, that's broken in your life and that's broken in your life. The Holy Spirit does all that. On his time, on his agenda, 
Our job is to share the light in life and the testimony and the witness of who God's done, who God has been for us. And just the invitation that God wants our family to be bigger. And that that door, that invitation to be a part of our family is always open. That that light in life is something we all get to participate in. But again, to do that, it means that we have to have integrity. So we're going to actually use this section of scripture to do our confession and our absolution today. So I'm going to ask you to uh, say this first line if we confess our sins, and then we're going to just pause. And we're going to be quiet before God and be honest. This is where there is still some junk, some muck in our life this week. And then you are going to get to hear the good news of forgiveness. But I would ask you to say that first half of the line with me. If we confess our sins, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you honest that there is still darkness in our life. There is still shadow in our life. The good news is that he is faithful and just and he forgives you your sins. He purifies you that you might be in right relationship with him and with everyone else. One of the ways that we connect with God is through communion. Communion literally means community union. And we call it a sacrament, which means it's a sacred moment. A moment where the veil between heaven and earth where God is and we are comes together. And he says, I'm going to meet you here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it and he says, take and eat. This is my body, which I break for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, also after the supper, he took the cup. And when he had drank it, he said, drink of this, all of you. This cup is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He says, in with and under this moment, I am going to meet you here. You have a God who wants to be in relationship with you, a God who forgives you. And a God who says, I want you to have union with my family, the church. I invite those helping with communion to come forward as we continue our worship today. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.